everybody. This is Karen Stefano, the author of Story Collection, The Secret Games of Words. I'm happy to have with me today the author Heidi Barnes, who is the author of The Bellman. Heidi, how are you? Oh, great. Thank you. And thank you so much, Karen, for this opportunity. I mean, it's such a pleasure. I loved your book, uh, The Secret Game of Words. And quite honestly, I know you have more um, that you've written out there, including a memoir, and I, I'm going to read it for sure. And oh, I'm excited well, about it because your, your, your writing, uh, before you even get into mine, is your writing is brilliant. So uh, it's been a pleasure. Well, you, uh, uh, I love you. Favorite guest ever for those compliments. Uh, I, really, I really appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks so much, Heidi, um, especially coming coming from you. Um, before we get started, I am just going to read for the sake of everyone listening a little bit of the blurb from the back of the book. So everyone has an idea of the novel that, uh, that Heidi and I are going to be talking about. And of course, uh, this is a safe way for me to not inadvertently do any, uh, any spoilers. So with that, I'll just read the blurb. When Stanley takes the first real job in his life as a bellman at an historic mansion turned luxury inn on the majestic coast of Maine, he has no idea what he's in for. The May Cliff attracts eccentric guests of all types, from brash Texan lazarios to African dictators with suitcases full of cash. But the guests can't compare to the staff. The cook is a prima donna, the manager is a prissy militant, the maids are brassy pranksters, the bartender's a drunk, and someone's got their fingers in the till. The only bright spot may be Mindy, the pretty waitress who misses Stanley's attempts at impressing her, but always seems to find a way to bear witness to his bumbling gas. Trying his best to keep order in chaos, Stanley finds that joy and loss, humor and tragedy, friendship and betrayal are all part of the job and life. Most important, though, is the discovery that everything is going to be all right, even if everything is going very, very wrong. And with that, uh, Heidi, I wanted to ask you if you'd be willing to read to us a little bit from the Bellman. Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. <clears throat> and, and thank you for asking. Um, I thought about... Um, a scene that I've read before, uh, and this is where the on the front desk clerk tells Stanley, the protagonist, who's been hired as a bellman, that it's his job to cover her for breaks, to freshen up, etc., whatever she needs. And so he he didn't know that when he was hired, and she gives him a brief rundown, and then just leaves him. And so he's left feeling vulnerable, and, and suddenly the phone rings, um, and he's just out of depth. Um, so here's where we start. Yes, ma'am, we are a very exclusive property, right on the water. It's an elegant, old-fashioned inn with vaulted ceilings and fireplaces throughout. The other lines started ringing, so I began to get a little flustered and started talking faster. Actually, we're the highest-rated inn in Maine. We're the only five-star, five-diamond property in the whole state, I tried to interrupt. Ma'am, ma'am, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to put you on hold another minute while I get the other line. The travel agent insisted she had just one more question, 
so I stayed on to answer. Our room rates range from 125 to 175 in the low season to 175 to 225 in the high season. I'm sorry, I am really going to have to put you on hold. This time I didn't wait for a response. When I finally answered the other line, the man sounded clearly irritated. What's the matter with your phones? I've been trying to get through for the last half hour, he shouted. I'm sorry, sir. I was just on the other line with another guest. How may I help you? He was interested in room rates and accommodation choices. As I started a brief pitch, the phone call on hold started ringing back to the front desk, something that did automatically after a minute. I was trying to figure out what to do when someone walked in off the street. I acknowledged the gentleman with a smile and motioned with my finger to wait a minute. Yes, sir, it's on the water. I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to put you on hold another moment. This is long distance, you know. My apologies. I'll just be a second. I looked up at the man standing in front of me. May I help you? Yes, I have a reservation. The name is Dunlop. The phone would not stop ringing back, so I had to answer it. One sec, I said to Mr. Dunlop. It was the travel agent on the line asking about commission again. I haven't had a chance to find out, but if you give me a minute before I could finish, she said she'd call back and hung up abruptly. I didn't see that as a bad thing, one less problem to juggle. I looked up at Mr. Dunlop briefly before the other line started ringing back. He appeared a little disgruntled. I picked up the phone. So sorry to keep you waiting. Okay. You want to check availability for three nights, July 18th through 20th. Let me see here. In walked a lady who stood behind Mr. Dunlop. I motioned with my finger to wait a minute. She pushed her way in front of him and started talking over me. She wanted to see a room. I quickly turned and grabbed the key off the rack, hoping this room had remained unoccupied, and handed her the key to escort herself. I pretended to the man on the phone to look at availability, but I actually tried to find Mr. Dunlop's reservation to check him in. I had no time to page Joan. What had she been thinking? Thankfully, Joan finally came to my rescue. She didn't look fresh or powder puff, so who knows what she'd been doing all that time. I told her the gentleman was checking in, and as she handled that, while I finished with the inquiry on the phone. By the time I returned to the phone, the man on the line had hung up. Not a bad thing either, kind of a relief. But it seemed a shame that after all that work, I hadn't even managed to make a reservation. Joan greeted Mr. Dunlop warmly, but he looked clearly annoyed. He must have been waiting at least 10 minutes to check in. She offered my bell services, which he accepted. He gave me his car key and said his luggage was in the trunk out front. I brought the heavy bag in and waited by the stairs until he finished. Enjoy your stay, Mr. Dunlop, Joan said. I climbed up the, I climbed up the stairs with great effort, one step behind Mr. Dunlop. And when I hit the top step, I stumbled and the bag went tumbling, opening halfway down. By the time it hit the bottom, everything had fallen out. Shirts, briefs, wash bags. And something foreign, couldn't tell what, all astray. Oh, shit, I blush. I wanted to run and hide. I am so sorry I tripped. I'll gather everything for you. Here's the key. You can go to the room. I'll be right up. The man ignored me. He walked down to the bottom of the stairs, grabbed his suitcase, and began picking everything up, starting with the foreign object. 
by the time we gathered all the garments and they lay sloppily back in his suitcase, he no longer required my services. Thank you, Heidi. And that's about <laughs> that's about the one that thanks for poor Stanley, isn't it? <laughs> poor Stanley, poor Stanley. Yeah. It gives yeah. a glimpse of I picked that because it gives a glimpse of not only what a great manner this was, um, you know, it's not a typical B&B, it's not a big corporate hotel, it's somewhere in between this grand manor, and, and with Stanley had to go through, because he was hired as a bellman, but thrown into total chaos, and uh, wore more hats than a bellman, and right, that was typical right. of the uh, situation. <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and that scene, I think, is representative, because just listening to you read, I felt myself cringing a little bit with anxiety. And, you know, he's trying to keep all the balls up in the air and he's doing his best, but his best just isn't good enough. And uh, Lord knows we've all felt that way uh, one time or another, either <laughs> on the job or just in life. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I know from your acknowledgement that you actually ran an inn for a while. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Well, this is this actual whole story is based on um, it was originally my family home that my parents bought when I was five years old, and it was in Bar Harbor, Maine, and it was right on the water, and it was a grand manor. Um, and and black and white and uh, big circular drive drive uh, um, the vaulted ceilings I talked about fireplaces throughout and and it was stunning and that was my summer home I spent every summer of my life there except from the time of five and when I was in college my very last year my parents decided to turn it into an inn my father was a developer and and such. And so he turned it into an inn. So after university, I, I ran it for seven years. And I was thrown into it uh, with no experience but I, and no training. So I trained myself. But I was so excited and so enthused. And actually, I, I was just thrilled about sharing this beautiful property with everybody else because I felt it was so stunning that it, I don't know, it was a privilege to have other people enjoy it as well and fun to run the inn. Um, but we had so many uh, different people. Uh, it was uh, not only the staff, but clients from all over, um, unusual situations um, that I always wanted to remember. So it was magnificent. And, and this property was built in 1930 for $500,000, so in the Depression. Um, and it just has withstood everything. Has a rolling lawn, and like I said, right on the water. You could see at that time the Blue Nose Ferry coming in from Nova Scotia every night lit up like a, a birthday cake. Um, it, it was amazing. Um, so it's, I'm very passionate about it because it, it's been a huge part of my life both personally and professionally. Um, and I enjoyed meeting guests from all over and the unique personalities, the odd events that happen. But, you know, the unusual thing is it's only seasonal because it's Bar Harbor, Maine. So you are actually only open five months out of the year. So it's very stressful. That's, you have five months to make it or break it. And it's full on, long hours. Um, 
and and so I, I wanted to remember that that time and and I yeah so that that's why I wrote I, it was so important to me such a big part of my life. So then, so then, tell me, were, were the the characters, um, meaning the staff and the guests in the Bellman, the novel, were they inspired by that experience? How how much of this novel is autobiographical? Uh, absolutely, it was uh, totally inspired by my experience, my experiences with staff, guests, and events. And of course, I threw in some of my imagination, but absolutely. Sure. And um, biographical, absolutely. And the fact that um, I am not a character in the book, but there's many parts of me in the book, in different characters, sure. in different situations. So in that way, and everything in the book has meaning to me. It's not in there for no reason. There's a there's a reason for everything being in there. So it is totally based on my experiences and inspired by the staff, the guests, the events, the odd situations that went on. And, and like I had mentioned before, it's something that I, I, all, I just wanted to remember. It was so important to me and I, I felt as time went on, I, I might forget. So uh, I, I wanted to put it down on paper. Well, you, then you you nailed it. Uh, I I really felt the setting was true uh, in in reading the the descriptions of the hotel itself and the view and et, et cetera. Uh, so so that part I knew had to be real, and it's it is interesting to see that the characters, again, both staff and guests were, were informed by your own real life experiences. And so that leads me to my next question, which is, I understand the inspiration for the novel and that some of the characters, but what about the inspiration for your protagonist, the lovable, bumbling, naive, Sweet Stanley Douglas is is there <laughs> some of you in him or well where did, where did Stanley come it's, from? Well, it's interesting. Um, it's a it's a little bit embarrassing, but I mm. actually started this book um, over twenty five years ago. So I always sounds about right <laughs> when I was right. <laughs> and it's not that it takes me 25 years to write a book. It's just that life got in the way. I was kind of moving around the world and things were happening. <laughs> but I always finish what I start. So that's the positivity there. But I actually did start it over 25 years ago, intended to write it. And I remember my father, because I ran it and he would oversee, you know, the uh, maintenance and any sort of bills that came in and that part of it. And then we'd end up at the end of the night having a drink and talking over what happened during the day and things like that and I recall him telling he or or actually overhearing him tell a few guests she's writing this book he actually believed that and I thought wow he actually I intended to but I didn't actually believe he ever thought I would I knew I would and and that was inspirational so at that time, part of it was actually written over 25 years ago. So, of course, I had a younger mind. Um, and, you know, I did find, I don't know if it's just me, but I find a, a lot of young people, they have 
you know, you get out of school because Stanley's only 17, 18, just graduated high school. Um, and he has all these dreams and aspirations and he, he thinks life's going to be easy, you know, and, and, you know, he can do what he wants. He knows more than the adults know. And, and that's the naivety in him. And uh, it always had to be, in my eyes, told through the Bellman's eyes because in a small hotel or an inn, um, it's the Bellman does everything. He's not just a Bellman. It's not a corporate hotel where there's standards and you can't cross the line. The Bellman does everything. So, uh, and, and when I used to hire Bellman, when I ran it for the seven years, I always, it was so important to me. I felt the Bellman and the front desk were incredibly important. So I looked for Bellman who had a lot of warmth personality, willingness to do anything, you know, just whatever. And and I, I can't think of one bad bellman that I had. So they were all really <laughs> lovable. Um, the bumbling part was kind of just, it, that was fun. I think to me that was fun. And, and because he's thrown everywhere and pushed around by everybody and, and right. uh, everyone else tells him what to do. And He's doing more jobs than just the bellman. He's doing all sorts of jobs, and he's a little bit confused, and, and he's reactive because, you know, he, he's young, and um, he doesn't really understand everything. And, and that was really the inspiration. It, it started over 25 years ago, the, pro, the protagonist being produced as he was in character, <laughs> which I know is unusual, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think that you're, you're the the only one who started with a character so long ago, and uh, you know, tw- you blink your eyes and in 25 years passed before you have a completed <laughs> manuscript. You're not the only one with that with that sad story. But yeah, life, I'm glad life, to hear life, it. Life, I'm glad life, to hear it. I yeah, thought I'd go and finish the world records for that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, I don't required. I don't. I don't think so. So the, this job as a bellman is Stanley's very first job. What was your first job? Was it running the inn for your father or was it something else? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to go back, my, you know, in time because I had, I had unpaid jobs, you know, where I just go and, and do whatever it was that it took just for the experience. But one that I remember that was unpaid was next to uh, the Maycliffe, which is the name of the inn in the book. Um, that's not what it was called uh, in my real life. Um, but um, there was the, the neighbor uh, was a motel and uh, the owner's daughter was my best friend. So we hung out together all the time. And when they were short staffed, she'd ask me to help her clean the rooms. And I knew nothing about cleaning rooms. I'm like, okay, what do I do here? <laughs> and I'm just cleaning the rooms. And then I'd put out, they included continental breakfast there. And so I'd help her put out continental breakfast and I did all that. So that was kind of a very early introduction, unpaid at, at that age. And then later on in the summer, I had summer jobs and one, uh, a couple were in San Francisco area, the Marin County area, and one was cocktail waitress, hostess, and uh, and also just regular waitress. And and 
they were actually, they well-trained their staff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just amazing uh, how much I learned from that. But that was really after, or I can't remember if it's actually after or in between the end when it was closed. Uh, but that helped guide me when I did get back to the end. And later on, I mean, after that, I went to work for the Four Seasons Hotel. Uh, but that was after running the inn. Um, so anyway, I learned more along the way in the hospitality business. Um, but wow. I've had so many various jobs. I can't really pin down. I know I tried to get an ice cream job up in Maine <laughs> one summer um, in the shop with the little swirly ice cream that I loved. And it was right on the water. And I couldn't get it. I think the first time I was too young. And then, and then I tried other jobs. But I didn't actually pursue it. And I should have. But what about you? What were, what about your first job? Well, you probably had a we have direct to... answer because mine we have <laughs> all over the place. No, actually, it, it, it's funny because uh, we have something else in common, Heidi, because my very first job, uh, and, you know, it wasn't like a, a, a W-2 issuing situation. It was just me being a, an 11-year-old entrepreneur, but uh, was cleaning houses. And um, I cleaned the houses of neighbors and relatives and friends of my mother's. And I wasn't very good at it. I probably just sort of moved the dirt around. But I, it was <laughs> a way for me to, to, to generate income. And I was very financially driven uh, as, a, as a fifth, sixth, seventh grader. I wanted, I wanted to work. And my parents had made it clear that if I wanted money, I was going to have to earn it. And uh, my allowance just wasn't enough. And then eventually I, I graduated. I was old enough to, to actually babysit that classic, classic job. And then like you, I've had all kinds of jobs, uh, hostess in a restaurant, uh, temporary office worker, receptionist, uh, you, you name it. I've, I've, I've done it, uh, but it's it's a time, you know, it's it's the role of a question for this podcast because Stanley's first job is as a bellman, and that's it's 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 a, a great growth experience for him on so many levels. But one of my favorite questions to ask people at parties is just that: What was your first job? And I just think you learn so much about. A person with with how they answer that question. So it's kind of it's just kind of one of my weird little quirky things that I that I like like to ask. And it usually when you go to parties, the first question out of somebody's mouth is, "What do you do for a living?" And I think that's a that's Absolutely. a great question. Yeah, it's a great question, but some there's so much ego involved sometimes in the response. And when you go back to someone's youth and their 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 naive state, if you will, and and see what their first job was. I just I just I just love learning that about people. Oh, absolutely! I, I totally agree with you. It's not only, you know, what what line of work are you in now, but where did you start? Like, well, what was right. your first job? It's intriguing. It's intriguing it really when you learn where somebody started from that. You know, everybody either started sweeping something or doing something they didn't want. They're the coffees or right. they were the whatever. 
then they end up in this incredible, amazing job or whatever they want to do in life. And it's fascinating because it it all boils down to hard work and perseverance and you don't give up. You just keep going, keep going. You keep trying and figure out what you want in life. And uh, some people know at an early age, uh, but I think most people have to kind of try different things and figure it out. What, What do they want to do? You know? Yeah. I I agree, and everybody's life doesn't always go on a perfect arc of a trajectory upwards. Uh, Some people, myself included, have uh, ups and then some uh, severe crashes down and then climb back up again, and uh, everybody has their own interesting path. But speaking of uh, uh, paths, I I know from your bio, Heidi, that You've lived all over the world, Singapore, Dubai, D.C., Maine, Vancouver, and now you're in L.A., right? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, I am. I have have lived all over the world, which is, it's been intriguing to me. Um, I, I lived in places like Switzerland and England and Vermont and Washington, D.C. Those were all short stints when... When the inn closed for the uh, winter, I would go and live in these other places and either get a job oh. or whatever it is. But then that, those are the shorter stints, the winter months where I lived. Um, I had an interesting job in, in Switzerland, but that's for a whole nother podcast. And <laughs> <laughs> then once I was married, um, as soon as I was married, because my husband at the time was with Four Seasons Hotel, and his hotel sold, which so many do, and we ended up in Singapore, and uh, so from Singapore, then we went, we were there a few years, and went, uh, he was transferred to New Zealand uh, for a year, then Australia a couple of years, uh, then Canada, Vancouver, then uh, for a number of years in Dubai for a couple of years and then back to Vancouver. Um, And then now I am in LA and I've been here about six months and I have to tell you, I'm not moving again. (laughs) Really? I'm done. No, that's it. I'm done. I don't, I may, I will move locally. I will move locally. I'm right now in Santa Monica. Um, I will move locally, but I am staying in California and, and most likely Southern California. Yeah. Well, good for you. And I good think I have a right at my age to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You've been you've been all over, so you do have the right. Well, that's 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 interesting. Well, you are you're from San Diego, or not from San I Diego? Do. You live you live in San Diego now. Yeah, I'm. I live in San Diego. Uh, long story again. Way way too much depth for this. Uh, podcast, but I just returned here after uh, about a nine-month stint living in D.C., and now, again, uh, can't go into detail, otherwise this would be a six-hour podcast, uh, but I'm I'm <laughs> sort of bi-coastal right now, so, uh, and that's, that's not as fun as it sounds because uh, I've I'm basically flying back and forth uh, a ton, but uh, at least it at least gives me a lot of good reading time on on the plane. But so yeah, so DC and San Diego are my two abodes right now. But wow, uh, well, 
extra. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. So uh, Heidi, as um, I think I probably warned you, these podcasts fly by and we're already kind of approaching our time here. And so I'm going to move on to ask you my final question on this season of podcasts. It's a question I have asked every uh, single guest author. It's a question uh, stolen from the Sunday New York Times book review section. And it's a, a question that I never thought was that relevant. And uh, since uh, since this past January, or actually since last November, it, it seemed very relevant to me. And with that, I'll ask you, if you could require our current president to read one book other than The Bellman, what would it be? <laughs> okay, well, I, I'd like to say two, so I'll speak quickly. Um, and it's not okay. because they're related to me. It's be, it's, they are related to me, but it has nothing to do with that. It's just because it's relevant in what is happening in the world today. One is called Shadow Apparel. It was written by my father. It was um, published in 1963 by Doubleday. And it was on the New York Times bestseller list because my father was in the Navy for 25 years. And it was, at that time, you were not allowed to um, write a book if you were in the Navy. So he had to use a pseudonym. And so it was under Alexander, uh, I think, Zonoff. But his real name was John A. Davis. And, um, and it's really the story of a Russian spy sub that penetrates the York Harbor. So he pretended he was a Russian submarine commander um, attacking the U.S. And the reason he did it, his main reason, and this came out later, uh, if you research it, that he was saying to the U.S. Navy, you have to step up your game because Russia has too much intelligence on us. And this is scary stuff. I mean, that Russia has so much intelligence on us in 1963. So I think that's sort of pertinent to what's going on today. Um, yeah. And he actually received two uh, medals of honor from Eisenhower for getting secret um, information from Russia. So I would suggest he read that. I didn't even wow. know it was still in circulation. I didn't. I just actually looked today, and it is on Amazon. I had no idea. I had no idea. I wow. just looked today because I figured you just it wasn't in circulation. And the other one I would quickly recommend is one my brother just wrote called Crisis Blue. And the reason why I recommend that is he's emergency room doctor, graduated of the Naval Academy, as my father was. And it's all about – it's a novel on the threat of terrorism – on on u.s shores and there's so many i mean obviously that's such a main issue in the world today uh this is another possibility but he has the credentials to to write a book like this and and so that's the other reason i i would suggest he read that because it's just something else he should think about he's got to look at all the threats of terrorism in on our u.s shores today you know i mean it's critical crucial because, you know, people are getting frightened, obviously, by it. So, yeah. That would what's be your, what's your brother's name? I, I, I want my, my brother's name, is, it's under J.A. Davis, and it's called Crisis okay. Blue. And he has another one coming out called Crisis Black. And my fa- and so that's, um, uh, that's, yeah, Crisis Blue, then Crisis Black. And then my father's 
1963 with Shadow of Peril, and that was under John A. Davis. They they sort of have the same name, similar. Okay, interesting. Okay. Uh, well, but, but I well, just skip, I I just want to say one thing, and I I'm sorry to interrupt, but because no, I feel like I've done so much of the talking, and and I just want to say something before because I know we're running out of time and we didn't get a chance to talk about everything we wanted to talk about. But your secret game awards, I said in the beginning, truly brilliant writing. And I'm not just saying that. I absolutely mm-hmm. loved it. And the, the stories are relatable to, I'm sure, so many people. And I understand you have a memoir. And I, I wanted to ask you about that. I don't know if you have time to answer that on this podcast. But I, I really, um, I'm going to read that. I, I will I intend to buy that and read that and, and whatever else you've written. Well, thank you so I don't much, know if Heidi, time for to answer anything with that. <laughs> yeah, I pro- I probably don't. So we'll we'll have to we'll have to have a conversation, uh, an unrecorded uh, offline conversation, and I would love to tell you all about it. Um, and I really appreciate your kind words about the stories and the secret games of words. And uh, the memoir uh, will be out uh, one of these days soon, I hope. And uh, yes, I'll, I'll tell you all about it offline. And I, I really appreciate your support and enthusiasm for it. And uh, you'll be, when I'm in book promo mode, as you are now, I'll be out there, <laughs> out there stumping the, the new book like crazy. So you won't, you won't be able to get me to shut up about it then. So. <laughs> Okay, with that, Heidi, I I really I really want to thank you for your time in joining me. Uh, the Bellman was a wonderful read. Uh, everyone, I encourage you to to pick it up. It's it's uh, it, it's a fun it's a fun book, and uh, you, I guarantee you're going to fall in love with uh, Stanley, the protagonist. So with that, Heidi, I'll I'll say goodbye, and uh, I wish you the best of luck with this wonderful book.